Thank you, Bubba. Appreciate it, buddy. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to turn over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And uh, last week, we, have, uh, we talked about, uh, uh, it was great for uh, young Christians, well, great for any Christian, but uh, especially the younger Christians that are uh, trying to build relationships in the Word of God. And, uh, you know, and one of the things that will always mess you up is the aspect of, of who you hang out with. And we talked about uh, some great concepts that not only will help you as a Christian, but if you're, uh, if you're toying with the idea of getting into uh, the, the people ministry to learn how to really work on a, a third and fourth level with people, those are the kind of things that you're going to use and need to remember all of the time. So, and we'll start, we'll go through many of those things in much more depth when we, uh, when we do it, when we start meeting together after the first of the year. But today we're going to start 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We know now that, uh, and you should be clearly understand that the book of 2 Corinthians is our handbook on ministry. As I've told you already, this is a key book to understand, and uh, I've been very careful coming through it uh, and be very mindful to explain all of it the best I could so that not only would you record the principles that I've been giving you, but also getting an outline of the book as far as it goes verse by verse to the best of our abilities, we've been able to do that. You now know that each chapter is very important. The book itself, as I've said, is the handbook of ministry, but chapter by chapter, uh, he goes through a different aspect of ministry, sometimes several aspects, uh, but it all deals with <coughs> our relationship to ministry. We saw in chapter 1, if you remember going back to when we started, how that the ministry is really, uh, in a Bible concept, it's, it deals with suffering. The things that we go through for Christ, a lot of times the things that we go through as individuals when we're out of fellowship with God, when we come back to Christ and we get back in fellowship with Him, not only the sufferings of the stupid things we've done in life, but the legitimate sufferings of the things that we go through in life, God takes those and allows us to help other people uh, going through their tough times uh, based on the aspect of what we went through. So the ministry in its, in its basic form is uh, our going through our suffering to help somebody else in their suffering. We defined that. We saw chapter 2. The chapter 2 deals with the forgiving spirit of the minister. In the ministry, there's no place to hold grudges, no place for hatred, no place for bitterness, no place for anger. Uh, no place for uh, having something against somebody that you don't follow the biblical process that you to clear it up. I, I've never understood, and I've seen it all my life, and I'm sure most of you have too if you've been saved for a while, uh, how so many of God's people who claim to be good Christians and claim to have it all together never seem to want to follow the biblical process of solving problems and with people that they have. And it's, a, it's, always, a, it's always an aspect that if uh, you're going to do the ministry, you're going to be in ministry, that forgiving spirit. And we talked about all of that when we went through it. Chapter 3, we talked about the proof of your ministry, how that your proof of you being saved, the proof of you being God's child is what you give back to God through ministry, and that's really the purpose that God has saved you for. Chapter 4, we talked about the biblical definition of ministry, how that we are to put away all of the, uh, all of the things of uh, dishonesty and deceit and handling the Word of God deceitfully. But the Bible says that our ministry should be one based on manifestation of truth and then commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Chapter 5, 
We spent a lot of time in chapter 5. Chapter 5 deals with the perspective of your ministry. And I think probably I can't remember a time in all of my years in preaching and teaching the Bible uh, that I ever laid out the judgment seat of Christ uh, as in-depth and in detail as I did uh, during that time. I figured we were there. All the material was there. And between 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, it doesn't leave much to the imagination. And that should be uh, the perspective. We had a look in our ministry, and the perspective of it is someday I'm going to stand before God and give an account for the ministry that God uh, has given me. In chapter 6, we have the fellowship uh, of our ministry. And this is what we just finished last week. Five things. Uh, We talked about five areas of our fellowship And in the last week, we talked about the things that we should not be in fellowship with. And that was the people who are saved or lost of not being unequally yoked together with them in in anything in life. And we talked about uh, how that uh, that will will kill many, many Christians, not only the world, but unfortunately saved people uh, who live like the world. So we talked about that. Now today, and I think this is probably a great chapter for all of you uh, younger Christians and you middle-line Christians and you older Christians too, but I think it's something for you younger Christians that's really going to help you because chapter 7, and what a great chapter it is, it talks about the promises to the minister. Now a promise, a promise is very special in the Bible, and this is going to be my introduction to chapter 7. I want to define the concept of a promise for you. Now, I know, I know, some of you are already saying, well, <clears throat> I, know, I know what a promise is in the Bible. Well, I, and I'm sure you have a concept of it. But I want you to fully understand it because I don't think you understand the depth of the promises in the Bible, and that's, uh, that's very important for you. And I, now I'm, going to, uh, I'm going to show you some great verses today. And this will be a time where you can really get in and get some great key verses down. One of the things that and I give these out all of the time, and we have them back in our bookstore. One of the greatest little books I've ever found is a little book called the Bible Promise Book. And most of you have them, but it's something that I think that, I, and I carry in my backpack when I go to the gym or wherever I go, I always have two or three of these in my car, wherever, because I always meet people. And there have been people at the, at the gym where I go who uh, they know I'm a pastor. And they'll come up and they'll ask me that their boy was in a wreck or their daughter's got cancer or something like that. And I'll immediately run down to the locker room and grab one of those out of my bag and bring up and I'll explain it to them. And you thought that they just won the lottery. Uh, and this is something that I, I use all the time. And it's a, it's a great little book. What it is, it has in the front, you know, most people that have trouble in their life, they don't, they, they know the answers are in the Bible. They don't always know how to find them. And it's true of us too many times. This little book here uh, has a contents. It's anger, belief, charity, children, children's duties. Ooh, that's a good one. You got to mark that one. <clears throat> Comfort, contentment, correction, God's correction, courage, death, enemies, envy, eternal life, faith, faithfulness of God, fear. Right on down the line. There's probably, oh, let's see, there's probably uh, maybe 100, 125 in here. And when you go to the page, it's going to list all the promises or the verses that go along with that. It's kind of like a, a, a poor man's uh, ready reference to the promises in the Word of God. And it's a great little book to have that to give to somebody, and I give them out all the time because uh, they'll take this when they necessarily won't take a Bible. Now, I'm all for passing out Bibles, and I like to give Bibles away, but you know as well as I do. Give a Bible to somebody that's not saved or doesn't understand the things of God, and you might as well give them a, you know, an Indian an, an manual for a DC, DC-3 jet. I mean, they don't understand it. Give them one of these. 
and they can find their way and it contains the principles of the Word of God um, that they can get to and then God can take it from there. So promises are very important. And promises in the Bible is something that is for you that you can claim. And I want to help you understand the whole concept today. Promises give us hope when you really need it most. Uh, Promises hold us together in tough times. You know what's true in the world around you? How many times growing up when you've been, you know, dealing with your kids or even when you were a kid, you had a need in your life or something went wrong in your life or you needed somebody to help you in your life and they said that they would and you say, no, promise me you will, you know. And they say, okay, I promise you, I'm going to get that. I promise you, I'm going to do this. I promise you, you can have that. Uh, and, and they say, now promise me. You're going to promise me that you're going to do that. You see, you got hope in what they're saying. Promises and keeping them will, uh, and most people don't understand this, the promises and keeping them are really the key to any re- real relationship. We've all had people that uh, in, our, in, our, in our lives who uh, we always take the stance, uh, oh, I'll believe that when I see it. They always say they're going to do something, but they never do it. I've had people in the ministry like that over the years. I've had people that, that right up to the time that they leave and walk out the door for two or three years, they're saying, well, I'm going to do this next week or next week. As soon as I get past this, I got this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and they never do. We all promise things to people. And we never come through with it. Some of your husbands promise things to your wife. How many times your wife said, put the cap back on the toothpaste? I promise I will. You don't. You don't. You don't. Wives sometimes do their husbands. I, I mean, a boyfriend to their girlfriends. Promise me you won't do that anymore. Promise me you won't do this. I promise, I promise, I promise. After a while, you know, your promises don't mean much. I've seen fathers and mothers to their children. I've seen fathers and mothers that got divorced from their kids and that kid wanted to have a relationship with his dad or his mother and that dad was all out there doing his own thing or the mother doing her own thing and never come around for the kid and they'd say, I'll pick you up on Tuesday, we'll go have fun. That kid's waiting at the door with his coat on for you to come and he never shows up. Never shows up. Dad says, well, I promise we'll do it next week. Never shows up. Well, I promise you we're going to do it next month. Never happens. You know what happens in time? Kid doesn't believe it. Doesn't believe it at all. Promises and keeping them will be the key in building the main component of any relationship because it brings about trust. Now, we've been studying in chapter 6 the aspect of our fellowship with God, and I've given you now five different aspects. The key factor in our fellowship, if you haven't figured it out, and these two chapters, 6 and 7, kind of go together, but the key factor in our fellowship is the promises in the Bible with God. And when you build uh, on the promises of a relationship with a human being, it builds the relationship. When you as a Christian take the promises of God and build them into your life, you build a trust with God because God will always come through. God keeps his promises when many times, unfortunately, we do not. And uh, the key factor in, in our fellowship is the promises found in the Bible. And it's absolutely vital. Next week, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, as we go through chapter 7, I'm going to show you how the, really the theme of this from chapter 6 moves all the way through into the promises, but I want to define it first. I, I want to I do this in two parts. I figured I could do one long sermon or two really long sermons and, and, and work it out that way. So uh, I, I want to I break this down in two parts, and today I just want to give you a basic introduction. Now, chapter 7, verse 1 says this, having therefore these promises... Dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We do love you. 
We thank you for all the things that you do for us. We thank you, Father, for uh, what you've given us today and those that have come today. We pray, Father, your hand upon this time that uh, as the Holy Spirit of God takes the Word of God uh, and puts it into our hearts and, and gives us what we need. Help these young Christians. So many of them in the last three or four months have gotten saved or they've turned their life around or they've come here to learn the Bible and get what they need to get. I pray, Father, that, uh, that they'll, you'll, you'll give them what they need today. We love you. We thank you for all that you do for us now. In Jesus' name, for a sake we ask it. Amen. You know, the Bible's many things uh, as a book. Uh, the Bible's a tremendous history book. Uh, the history of man's recorded 7,000 years is found uh, all through the Word of God. Uh, you get into the book of Job and the book of Ecclesiastes and other places in the Bible. The Bible's a tremendous science book. You know, uh, the Bible, we talked about it last week, the Bible being a book of life, and I told you that we always think of that as salvation, and that's true. The Bible contains the plan of salvation for you and for me. But the Bible also is a roadmap to life. It shows you how to uh, go on life's journey and get everything that you need. The Bible, in its overall concept, is really a record of what God is doing and has done all down through history. But the real concept of the Bible for you and for me as Christians in our relationship and fellowship with Him is the Bible is the book of promises. And in the Bible, promises are very important for you to understand. You know, for us as Christians, the promises will make up our hope uh, in Christ based on what he said. And here's how it works. There's a certain process the way it goes. And, uh, and this is also why people don't have a relationship with God. Many of God's people are saying they, they have no relationship with God whatsoever. And, and on these principles, uh, we will build on the trust that God uh, put in our life. We build our trust in God, and that never fails. And that leads to a relationship and then to our fellowship. And, and here's some great verses. If you don't have these down in your Bible, don't try to write them down, but certainly mark them down because they, they really will help you understand this concept. You know, in Psalms chapter 77, verse 8, there's a great question that's asked. And he says in Psalm 77, verse 6, I'll pick it up there. He says, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Now, there's, now this is David historically. Notice David says uh, in the night. Now, I'm sure it was night when David did this, but it also is a period of time in David's life when he's struggling with many things in his life. He's not where he needs to be with God at this point. And he's, he's obviously the reason why he's calling remembrance his song in the night because he can't sleep. Uh, he's, he's troubled. He's troubled by where he's at, by the things that are in his life. And we've all been there. And, and historically, you know, it's David going through uh, these tough times. Now, doctrinally, this is Israel going through their great night time, which we know as the tribulation period. So you want to remember that. And if you don't have that in there, put those little notes down there. But for you and for inspirationally, it's a picture of you and me. We have our times in our life when it's our night times, when we feel like that God is not where with us the way we want him to be. That was David's predicament. And he's sitting there and he says, I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart. He's talking to himself. And my spirit made diligent search. You know what he's doing? He's looking like we've all done. He's looking deep inside himself. He's struggling. And when you struggle sometimes, you can't see God as clearly when you don't struggle. Sometimes the opposition or the obstacles in life, they block God out. And he, that's where he's at right now. And he's looking through that in the darkness and he's searching his heart and he's communing with his own spirit and he's searching. Then he asked these questions. 
Will the Lord cast off forever? Sometimes it seems like he will. Sometimes it gets hard. Will the Lord cast off forever? That's a question. And will he be favorable no more? That's a question. You see, where he's at in his life, where you and I get in our lives, he's asking himself, hey, God, how long is this? Do I have to go through this? How long is this going to be? Oh, Lord, are you still there? Lord, have you cast me off? Verse 8 says, in his mercy, a clean gone forever, doth his, and here it comes, doth his promise fail forevermore. Now, there's somebody that uh, he's struggling with some things. And if David struggled with things in his life and he was the man after God's own heart, let me tell you something, you and I will struggle with things in life. And he's coming to the place where he's saying, uh, does his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Now, the answer to all this is, of course not. No, he won't. He'll never cast you off. You'll always be favorable to him. His mercy will never be gone, and his promises never fail. And his promises to Israel were absolute. Uh, he told Israel, you know what? I'll beat the fire out of you if you don't do what's right, but I'm never going to leave you, and you're always going to be my people. David, too. David, when he went through his tough times, uh, God uh, hang him out the dry and God dealt with him, but God never forsook him. And when David was ready and right to make his famous confession in Psalm 51, what did God do? He brought him back. You know why? Because the promises to Israel are absolute. The promises to David are absolute. And the promises to you and me as God's people today are just as absolute. God will never cast you off. He never will. He never will. And this is where, and this is how, you know, this is where, how our relationship, our real relationship uh, of uh, God is built. In, in your hymnal there on page 175, there's a great song. And the great song is Standing on the Promises. How true that is. Standing on the promises of Christ my King through eternal ages, let His praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Now, I don't know, whoever wrote that, Whoever wrote that understood exactly what the Bible teaches on standing in state. Because standing in state is the fact that your standing in Christ never changes. And when your state changes and you get out of fellowship with God, your standing never changes. And that is a promise that you can have. You're not, you know, you know God gave us a promise in salvation. In Titus chapter 1 verse 2, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the foundation of the world. He promised us that. 1 John chapter 2, verse 25 says, And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. You have people all the time that, that think you can lose your salvation. And they struggle with that. Do you know why, fundamentally, bottom line, do you know why a person believes and frets over the fact that they absolutely can lose their salvation? Because they don't have any promises. If you had the promises of Titus chapter 1, verse 2, and 1 John chapter 2, verse 25, and about 200 other verses, you never get to that place. I've met people all the time, and salvation is a weird thing for some people. People think that they're saved because how they feel about it. I've had people actually tell me, well, I think I'm saved. Well, I said, well, did you ever ask God to come into your heart and save you? And they said, yeah, I did, but I didn't cry. Or I didn't feel anything. And you say, and then she said, well, so-and-so got saved over here, and she threw snot over the floor and cried for three days. <laughs> we think that there has to be some kind of emotional trauma that goes along with salvation. Now, let me just say this. Everybody's different. Some of you, when you got saved, it was a, such a great relief off your shoulders, you just cried uncontrollably. 
Some of you, when you got saved, you, you, it was, you were so happy about it, you just, you cried, you know, and in your own heart, and you cried out a little bit and cried a little bit, but it wasn't like you fell apart. I've seen some of them just for 20 minutes, just fall into a heap because of the burden of getting saved with so much on them. I've seen others get saved, jump up, walk out of the thing there and praise the Lord and be as happy as can be. I've seen others get saved down there on their knees, get up and walk out and says, well, that was good, good enough, on the way. <laughs> now, if you go by the way it looks, obviously the one who wails, bemoans himself and cries is the one that looks like they got saved. Well, the other guy just gets up and says, thank you, Lord, I appreciate it, let's go, let's go eat. But you see, you don't get saved by how you feel. Where you get saved is by the promises of God. God, prom- God told you in, in Romans chapter 3 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God told you in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He told you in Romans chapter 10, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And then he also said, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if you believe those promises and those statements and you do it, you know what happens? A terrible thing. God saves you. He doesn't save you in how you feel about it. He saves you that you took the promise that he would do it. If you did A, B, and C, and D, he would, do, he would save you. That's how it works. Everybody's different. You can't ever judge your salvation on how you feel. There's times when I get the flu that I don't feel like I'm saved. I mean, you're throwing up and running to the bathroom and having all kinds of digestion problems and you're sick as a dog and somebody says, let me hear about the joy, joy, joy down in your heart. You don't want to talk about it. Does that mean you're not saved? No. Thank God salvation is not based on my emotional stability at the, even at the time I got saved. Now, there's some things you need to understand. You need to understand you're a sinner. You need to understand the concept of repentance. You need to understand that God died for you in the cross, but then you realize that, as he says here, in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the foundation of the world. Just claim his promise. That's how you got saved. If you're saved, that's how you got saved. And today, you ought to be standing on the promises. Most of God's people are sitting on the promises, but you need to be standing on those promises. Now, here's another good one. Romans chapter 4, verse 21. And this is the real key to it all, I think, anyhow. He says, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Do you believe that? You see, that first starts with salvation. You have to be persuaded that the God that said, if you do this, this, and this, I'll save you. You have to be persuaded that what he promised, he can do. And then it goes on through your life from there. It's just that simple. Do you believe what he did? Do you believe he can? You believe that he comes through? Do you really believe him and what he promised and anything in your life? Do you live like you do? Uh, Herbert Lockyer was a great uh, uh, writer, and he wrote, he wrote what was called the All Series. It's been out of print now for years. <clears throat> but the All Series were, all series were uh, uh, I think he put up about nine or ten books. And I have most of them, <clears throat> if not all of them, at some point in place in my life. But they were the all series. And he, one book would be all the men in the, we have the men, we have all the men in the Bible and all the women in the Bible. They put that back in print. But he had a number of them. In the book, all, all the men in the Bible, it just started in Genesis and told you a little bit about all the men. And the women all the, told you about all the women. That book was a lot bigger than the other one, but I'm just kidding you. But, it, but it, he, had all the, he had all the miracles in the Bible. He had all the children in the Bible. He had a book, all the kings and queens in the Bible. He had a book, all the holy days in the Bible. And he had a book, all the promises in the Bible. It's a great book. Great book. 
Uh, people ask, wonder why they just have the troubles they have in life. Let me ask you a question. I, if you've been saved, I'll give everybody first four or five years of your life a free pass once you got saved. But if you've been saved five years or more, could you name me? Don't say yes, you could, or raise your hand, or get up and do it. Just hear what I'm saying. Could you stand up and give me five promises in your life today that you've got down? Could you? See, that's the key. Well, we wonder why we doubt God in so many things, because you don't have any promises in your life. That's why. You see, there's promises of His coming to us. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3 and 4 says, This second epistle, beloved, I'll now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure mind by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise? There it is. Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now you come on down in verse 9, and it says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. The Lord's going to come. I have no doubt in my mind. Somebody says, well, you know what? You know, he hasn't come yet, and they've been saying that for years and years and years and years. It doesn't matter. He's going to come. He's going to come. How do you know that? Because he promised he would. He promised he would. If I didn't have everything on the horizon... Boy, what's going on in Israel right now is right the key to this thing blowing up over there. I mean, it's all ready to go. But if I didn't have that, if I couldn't look at the world around me and see everything in the world, everything in this planet falling apart and know that it didn't point to the coming of the Lord. If I didn't have any of those things, I'd still know he was coming and I'd still believe he was coming. And awfully for me, I don't need to see those other things to know he's coming because he promised me he would. His promises are enough for me. Guy said one time, you know, you heard that they found Noah's Ark up on Mount Ararat. You know, I mean, uh, some plane flew over and actually saw this big ship sticking out of the eye. Well, my goodness, why did you get so excited about that? Did he not tell you in Genesis that's where it was? I mean, I knew it was there long before you did. And I didn't need CBS or Fox News to tell me it was there. The Bible told me it was there. A couple of Thursday nights ago, somebody brought up Isaiah 42, 9, which was a great verse. It says that God will show you the things before they happen. You know what that is? That's a promise. That's a promise. Do you know how many churches don't believe that Christ is coming back anymore? Do you know how many of God's people don't believe it anymore? Doesn't, doesn't, doesn't matter. God told me one time, you realize that you're in the minority what you believe? You realize that nobody on this planet believes what you believe and you're out there all by yourself? Doesn't that bother you? No, because my whole life is built on a promise. And he says, well, how do you justify the fact that nobody in the world in Christianity believes what you believe anymore? I said, back in Noah's day, there was four, four or five billion people. Only six people believed what he believed. The rest of them was wrong. It's nice to be in the minority. You don't get any special parking places, or when you go to the grocery store, they don't give you a discount like you do when you're a senior citizen, but it's good to be in a minority. God made some promises to Israel. I mean, he did. He said in Ezekiel chapter 39, I'm going to scatter you, but I promise I'm going to bring you back. You know what? He scattered them in 606 B.C., 589 B.C. They were out for almost 2,500 years, and then in 1948, he brought them back. You know why he brought them back? He promised he would. He promised he would. Those promises are incredible. He made some promises to Noah. He made some promises to Abraham. 
He made some promises to Jacob. He made some to Joseph. He made some to David, and he made some to Solomon. Why? When he called him out to go out of the land of Egypt and sent him to uh, Goshen land, you know what he's called that place? He called that place the promised land based on God's promises. And God made some promises to us. One of the greatest promises he ever made to any child of God on this planet is he promised to get you home to heaven if he had to get it to you there in a casket. He's going to get you there. He made problems to parents on training up their children in Proverbs 22, 6, many other places too. He gave you the promise of the secret of a long life in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 2. He gave us the promise of sustaining in a happy life in Psalms 1. And he gave us the key and the promise of a good marriage in Ephesians chapter 5. He gave you the promise of eternal security in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 13. You see, promises and your and my ability to use them and claim them are the key to our fellowship with God. You need to have some promises. Now, when it comes to promises, I need to tell you this. I've got a lot of things I need to tell you today. When it comes to promises, they come in two categories. For you that love ice cream, they come in two flavors. And this is very important. The first kind of promises you have are general promises. I just talked about Isaiah 42.9. That's a general promise, you see. Uh, we looked at 2 Peter chapter uh, 3, verses 3 and 4. That's a general promise. One of my favorites in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 11, it says the word of God never returns void. That's a promise. But that's a general promise. <clears throat> so some of the promises that you're going to have are in a general sense, in an overall concept. But then there's the second type, and that's the personal promises. And the personal promises are, are only to you. And only you can claim them. God gives them to you. Uh, and, then, uh, and then you form uh, where you're at, uh, when, what you're going through, uh, and, and that's what they're for. That God gives them to you because you're going through some tough times or you need something, so he gives you a promise. I remember one time, this has been probably 30 years ago, maybe even longer than that. I was just a young guy in the ministry, and <clears throat> I hadn't learned to keep my mouth shut about things that I probably shouldn't preach, the people I shouldn't preach it to, and... I had just been in the ministry a couple of years, so it had to be more than 30 years. But anyway, I was, uh, you know, I, I uh, had a bunch of families that were upset with me. And I was just a young guy back then. I didn't, hadn't learned to the point where my thin hadn't, skin hadn't thickened up enough. I didn't, didn't give a flip. But back then, it bothered me because I didn't know how it was all going to come down. And I was a new kid on the block and all those things. And I, I, was, I thought, boy, this is, I've been in Kansas City for a year now, and I want to go home. They're going to fire me because I made all these people mad. And uh, it wasn't that I said anything wrong. It's that they didn't want to hear what I had to say. So I, I, I was really bummed about it, and I was worried about it, and I, and I was fretting over it. And I remember, this was clear, it was in the summertime, it had to be July or August, and I was sitting out in the front yard, and I got my Bible there, and I just wanted to get alone. And I, and I was, it was all heavy on my heart, what, you know, what's going to happen? You know, because the parents were going to have a meeting with the pastor, you know, that all these things, da 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 And I read that, read, reading through the Bible, and out of nowhere, I, don't even, I didn't even know where to read. I, I wanted to do that thing where you just flip the thing and stick your finger down. I tried that once, but it was an O-far as a type of a wafer, and that didn't work for me. It didn't help me any. <laughs> so I, I, I was reading down through there, and lo and behold, without I, I, even knowing how I got there, I opened up Second Chronicles, uh, Chronicles chapter 1-1, which was David was going through some things in his life. And right there, just like God, you know how you highlight something in your Bible in yellow? And sometimes when you're reading your Bible, God won't use a yellow highlighter because he doesn't need that. But he'll lift the verse right out and put it in your lap. As I was coming down through there and reading that thing with my trouble where I was, boy, right there, that thing just lifted up. And it said about David, and David was strengthened in his kingdom. That's all I needed. 
God just kind of lifted that out and put it on my heart, and that was the promise to me that everything was going to be okay. And it was okay. It was okay. But I needed something. I needed something to get me through. I needed something, some light on this thing. I needed something that I knew that God understood it, and he wasn't like, David, where are you at? I'm in my nighttime. But when I got that verse that David was strengthening his kingdom, God just said, just as I strengthen him in his kingdom, I'm going to take care of you here and when you're in yours. That's all I needed. There have been tough times in my life when people, you know, have been after you. And it's all true in the ministry. And like it will be with you when you do what God wants you to do. One time, many times, years ago, you know, I, 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 it was a thing where I couldn't understand why people were, were upset about this or upset about that. And God gave me that great promise. And it's been a promise of mine for years and years and years in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 20, where it says, Joseph and his brethren, where Joseph gives a tremendous statement, which is a tremendous promise that they meant it for my evil, but God meant it for my good. That's a great promise. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 11 is another great example. This is Sarah here. It says, through faith, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was, when she was past age, because, here it comes, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Now, I, I don't know if you know this, when she has Isaac, she's 90 years old. I don't know of too many 90-year-old women that have give birth to children. <clears throat> Abraham was 99. Now, that's quite, a, that's quite an impossible situation. In fact, the Bible, when it talks about Abraham in other places, talks about his body being dead. I mean, he's alive physically, but he can't have kids. And here's a case where she's 90 years old. And when you look at this verse, you see that her, her faith in God, her trust in God, that got her through and gave her the ability to believe what God said in an impossible situation was the promise that God gave her to hold on to. Now, I'll just throw this in, won't charge you extra for this. But you know you go back in that story, that's not exactly true. You know that really didn't happen. You know why they named Isaac Isaac? Because Isaac means laughter. You know why he, God had him made laughter? Because she laughed at God's promises. Now, what do you got here? You know what you got here? This is one of the most beautiful pictures you ever see in your life. What you got here is the fact that once you get past the cross, all sin is forgiven, and God never brings it up again. When you go through Hebrews chapter 11, you know who you find there? Samson. Samson, the biggest screw-up you ever saw in your life. He's in God's hall of fame. You find every man. It talks about Abraham trusting God. He didn't trust God out all of his life. Many things he didn't trust God in. Jacob, you kidding me? Jacob means schemer. All these guys are listed in the Hall of Fame. You know why? Because at, And God never says one negative thing about them in anything he says. You know why? Because it's after the cross, and at the cross, everything they did was wrong was under the blood. He never bring it up again. That's a great principle. He never brought it up again. Why, she didn't believe God any more than um, some of God's people do today. She laughed when God said what he said. But when God recorded it here, she said, you know what? She believed my promises. Because deep down inside, God saw that she really wanted to and really did, but she was afraid. Tremendous concept. Now, here's a great one. This is one I've claimed for most of my life for 40 years. It's a great one. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children 
forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Now, you see that? That's a promise that when God shows you something in the Bible, it's for you. It's for you. There's secret things in there that God won't show anybody else that he'll show you. If you get into the ministry for any length of time and you're around any length of time, you'll learn one great truth. And it's a truth that you never teach all the Bible you know. You ask me questions on Thursday night, I'll, Thursday night, I'll answer your questions. I come up and teach you this and I'll give you a, a depth of things that maybe uh, that you need to have and those things. And, and people say, wow, I never heard that before. But let me tell you something. I would never tell you all the things that God has given me. You know why? Because he didn't give them to you. He gave them to me. And those are the things that were God's secret that he didn't give to anybody else, but he gave them to me. And then you ought to have those in your own life. And that's a, and that's a, problem, a promise. When God shows you something in the Bible, it's for you. But not only for you, look at the rest of the verse, it's for your children. Now, you parents, and you got, we got a host of parents here with young kids growing up. I want to give you an encouragement here. A good parent not only gets the promises for themselves, but they pass them on to their children. They pass them on to their children. Note the purpose that we might do all the words of this law. That's why you pass them on to your kids. God gives them to you. It's like, a, it's like your, your, your dad has got a, a fine collection of antique firearms, and he passes away, and you're the eldest son. What are you going to do? Put them on eBay? No, you, they go down to the sun. And there's many things, heirlooms, have been passed down to generation to generation to generation in a worldly sense. Well, this is talking about the secret thing that God gives you. You need to pass on to your children and then on to their children right on down the line. I think most parents would want their children to grow up tall for God. I mean, I w- I've never met a parent that said, I want my kid to grow up and be a lousy for God. Many of the kids do, but I don't ever met a parent that started out that way. I think most of God's people want their children to grow up tall for God. But I'll tell you something. If they're going to grow up tall for God, it's because they're going to grow up straight with God. And that requires the promises. Giving them and teaching them the promises of God. They're never too young for that. They're never too young for that. They never are. Promises are a lot like money in the bank. Most people never figure out how this promise thing works. And I, I've told you this before, but we've got a, many, many new people here today since the last time I said it. It's been a couple of years ago now probably, and most of you probably forgot it anyhow. But, uh, you know, promises are a lot like money in the bank. And people come to me all the time with problems. And uh, I, just, I, write them a, I write them a spiritual promise check. That's, that's all I can do. I can't solve your problem for you, but I can show you what the Bible says, and if you'll get the promises, then it'll solve the problem you've got. But promises are like money in the bank. <clears throat> okay, here I am. I'm driving my car, and all of a sudden I get this, my red oil light comes on. Well, I don't know anything about a red oil light, so I just keep on driving it. Pretty soon I hear the engine start knocking. <clears throat> well, I, I like the rhythm. I'm going along with what I'm singing. <clears throat> <laughs> all of a sudden, I hear this big twang, bang, ding, gong, boom, boom, and my head, my, my hood dents up, and I open the hood, and a rod went right up through the top of my engine. So I take it to my friendly garage guy, and he said, well, he says, you should have shut it off when the red light come on. And uh, well, it was Christmas, you know, and I was waiting for the green one to come on, you know, and I just, I, I, I didn't do it. And so he says, well, you know, you, the engine's gone. Well, okay, so what do we do? We have to get a new engine. How much is that? Well, it's going to be about $2,200. 
$2,200. Oh, boy, that's great. Man, that was an expensive little rhythm band we had going there. Anyway, okay, I go down to my bank, where I bank. They all know me. I know them. They know me because I always wade through the suckers to get the red one. But they, they know who I am. And I said, good morning. And I said, good morning to you. What can I do for you? Can I help you today? Yes, you can. Well, you know what? I, I got embarrassed about this, but I drive my car down the road, you know, and the red light come on with oil. And, I did, and she don't need to know this, but confection is good for the soul. And so, and so I'm telling her, you know, and my engine blew up and I took it to the mechanic and he said it's going to be $2,200. So, you know what? I need to get $2,200 to get my engine fixed. She says, oh, no problem, Mr. Alexander. What's your account number? I gave him a little account number. She goes in her little thing. I always get nervous when they when they take your account number and they get into the little computer. I'm always afraid that somebody just hacked into that thing and I ain't got nothing left in there, you know. She comes back up and she says, well, Mr. Alexander, uh, you only have uh, $20.92 in your bank account. And I said, yeah, I know, but this is a bank. You got all kinds of money. I said, behind that big old door there with a wheel on it, man, there's a million dollars. I need $2,200 to get my car fixed. And this is the bank. You have money. She says, I know, but you don't have any money on your account. And I said, well, what's that got to do with it? You just gave this guy, we're standing here, you gave him, I counted it out, out of the corner of my eye. You gave him $1,900. And well, if he got $1,900, I only need $2,200, just, just a couple hundred dollars more. She said, you don't understand. He had his money on the account. You don't. Now, I, you have a job? Yes, I do. Do you make good money? Probably make pretty good money. Well, I don't know what you do with your money, but you didn't put it in the bank. So when you come to the bank and you need something, we can only give you what you put on the account. So I know you need $2,200. I'm sorry you need $2,200, but we can't give you the money. Now, who can't understand that? Now, Bible principles are the same way. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. You put biblical principles and you put them on your heart. You put them on the account. You come over to me to talk about problems. I'll give you biblical promises or principles and you take them home and you put them into your heart. You apply them to your heart and then you, you do something with them and, and you store them in there. And the, what happens is, is that when you come a, a problem in your life, when something comes up, some catastrophe befalls you, like my car, only you're in a spiritual sense, when it all falls down and caves in, you know what? You have everything on the account that you just draw off the spiritual principles like if I had done and put my money in a bank, I could have drawn off what I had in the bank. Problem with God's people, every time. Every time you have an issue that you can't solve or won't solve or can't get to the end of the road with it, you know what that is? You have, you're just like me standing in First Bank of Raytown. You have put nothing on the account spiritually so when things go wrong, you have nothing to bank on. Nothing at all. People are just crazy. I mean, I love them, but they're crazy. They actually think, you know, you get into a problem. You know, and I, somebody said this just a couple of weeks ago. I've had this terrible problem in my life, and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. They were marital problems. And I just prayed for God to solve my marital problems. Say this, pray that, pray, prayed, 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 and nothing happened. I asked them. I said, how much time you spent in the Bible? Oh, I haven't spent any time in the Bible. I don't even have a Bible. Well, how do you think God's going to answer? You're going to be driving down 350 and an F-14 is going to be flying over from Whiteman and he's going to lose control and God's going to put the little vapor trail on and you're going to spell out your answer? You think that you're going to get in Billy Graham's little corner, my answer, and you're going to get what you need? How do you think God gives you the answers to what your troubles are? He does through the book, through the principles and the promises that he's given you. Your job is to put them on account in your heart so when the tough times come, you have something to bank on, see? That's the problem. I mean, I'd like to help you. So I, all day long, I just write spiritual checks. Here, take a little cash out. Here, take this one. Go take this. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
I told you last week in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, that the key, uh, uh, key of keeping your relationship with God and keeping everything in life straight is you putting the Word of God in your heart. Keep that Word in your heart, for out of the heart comes what? The issues of life. So you've got to put it on there. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Well, here's another good one. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of this world through lust. Boy, there it is. There it is. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, for all the promises of God in him are ye, uh, and by him, amen, unto the glory of God. All the promises are in him. Now let me explain something to you here. You need to get this down. This might be a little confusing for some of you, but I'm going to go slow. Promises in the Bible. I'm going slow. Oh. I know, I know. All promises, Eve liked that. <clears throat> but then Eve's the kind of person who wears sunglasses you can see behind you, so watch it. <laughs> now, all promises, listen to me, all promises are what we call Bible principles. A promise is a Bible principle. Okay, you got that? Now, but this is it. But you also want to remember, all promises are principles. Here it comes. But not all principles are promises. See how things work? There are some principles, promises, that you can cut out and claim for yourself in a personal way. And they are, they are, they are for you. And they're promises and they're absolute principles. But then there's other principles that in a general sense, you really don't claim them in any way of your life, but they're true. In the Bible, for example, there's seven laws in the Bible. Those seven laws in the Bible are principles. They're absolutely true. But they're not necessarily promises. They're just principles. So you have promises, and all promises are principles. I don't want you to get confused on our terminology. All promises are principles, but not all the principles in the Bible are promises. Principles are, in their fun, foundational uh, uh, concept, they hold things up. Sometimes they hold the earth up. Sometimes they hold the moon up. Sometimes they hold the stars up. Those are the general principles. And sometimes when they become principles that become promises, they hold you and me up when we go through a tough time. And that, you want to remember that. I don't want you going out of here and saying, well, I'm confused now. He talked about principles and he talked about because God's people will do that sometimes. They know they don't, I don't make it clear enough. And they'll go out of here saying, well, he said principles and promises. And you think they're the difference. No, they're not. They're not. All promises are principles, but not all principles are promises. Some of them are just general truth by which the earth, moon, sun run by. Hey, you need to know the difference. Now, I always get this question. How do you apply promises? That sounds so easy when I get up here and say, you need to hide the word of God in your heart. What does that mean? Does that mean you cut out little verses and swallow them? <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, you're laughing, but what, did, what does that mean? Uh, does that mean that, uh, what you, I mean, I know, you know, people, it's easy to say that. It's easy to get up and say, you know what? You hide the word of God in your heart. Put the word of God in your heart. It's easy for me to say, you need to apply the principle to your heart and to your life. That sounds great. Apply it. Okay. Like you do a coat of paint on a wall. Like you do a bumper sticker on your bumper. 
What do I, and I know some of you, you know, I know I've, I've been in your homes, you know, uh, you get around your, uh, your, 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 your mirror in your house, around the house, you got those little three by five cards, they're all over the refrigerator, they're all over your mirror every time. You, uh, that's a great thing to do. But there's, that's not exactly what I'm talking about, though I'm not discouraging that. I think you got to do that. But I'm asked all the time, you know, how do you apply uh, the promises? And you women will understand this better than the men, because men never get this. If they ever did, they'd be better husbands. We don't have much hope of that. <clears throat> but I don't care. Ladies, one thing about all of you, it may not be the same size. It may not be the same shape. You may not even look at it in the context that I'm talking about it, but everybody almost without exception, this is true if you're a woman today. If we would go to your home today, probably in your bedroom, over by your dresser, or on your veranda, whatever a veranda is. <laughs> is that your sister? Oh, you're Miranda. Okay, I'm going to you know what you'd find? You'd find a jewelry box. May I ask how many of you women, if you'll be honest with me, how many have a, some form of jewelry box in your house? Okay, just about everybody. Dago, you don't have to put your hand up. Thank you. His <laughs> is a hope chest. <laughs> We're going to have dinner together, okay? Of course. All right, buddy. Wednesday night. You have a jewelry box. And, and you know, a jewelry box is where all through your life, people have given you stuff, maybe from when you were dating somebody years ago that you wound up marrying. I hope you don't have somebody that you didn't marry. But your mother gave you things, or your father. Maybe you have your mother's jewelry or your grandmother's jewelry. Maybe if you're, you know, you have something that belonged to your father, uh, you know, and it's really special to you, or somebody that really loved you and means a lot to you has given you something. And basically, you know, when you go to bed at night, you take your jewelry off. So you've got to have some place to put it. So you put it in a jewelry box. Not too many women just hanging up on a rack someplace. You put it in a little box that, and it's very convenient because when a crook breaks into your house, that's the first place he goes and gets everything you got, you see. But you've got a little jewelry box. And everything that is special to you, everything that everybody has given you or you inherited or somebody has given you, you put in that jewelry box. Now, it's real simple. If you and I are the bride of Christ, and we are, and if Christ is my espoused husband, and he is, then my heart in application of what do we, how do we apply the principles and the promises, then my heart is my jewelry box. See how thing works? In the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle with all the furniture and all those things. But you ever notice back there where it talks about the holy things, the hallowed things, the things that were dedicated unto the Lord that they kept separate? God never really cared much about who did what with what. But when the kings come down from the other nations and they took the dedicated things, God got really interested in it because those were things that he had given to Israel that were special between him and them. And there's things, you know, you... It's, you know, on television, they got the Capital One commercial, you know, what's in your wallet? And for the child of God, the real question is, what's in your jewelry box today? That's the question. My heart, your heart is the jewelry box. And that's where we should keep all the special things that the love of your life, the Lord Jesus Christ, has given you. The special promises the special principles that he's given you in tough times that you keep in there. The things that you add to it. 
Well, yeah, it's like a bank account with money on it, but this is more in an intimate way here that shows you how to apply it. Somebody says, well, how do you apply to your principal? The same way you take your special jewelry off and put them in a little box. That little box is your heart. Remember now, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says that all the promises are in Christ. When you start to build a relationship with God, it becomes personal. It's between you and Him. Not everybody should be involved in everything that goes on between you and the Lord. You know, one of the hardest things, and I've learned this over the years, and some of God's people, you know, I understand it, but you haven't learned it yet. I've seen people try to explain to somebody else something real personal and special that God did for them. It doesn't mean something to nobody else. And they look kind of, it's almost like that where you had to be, be there to see it, you know, to understand it. It falls flat. I've done that in my all my life. I try to I try to explain to somebody what God gave me. They just look at me like, okay. <laughs> you know why they do that? Because God didn't give it to them. And you need to understand that there are some things that God gives you, you don't share with other people. They're in your jewelry box. I don't share all the things that God shows me. Well, God shows me probably 20, 40, 30, 50 things a day. And I just tuck them away in my jewelry box. I learn things from people watching them and circumstances in life that, that mean something to me that if I would tell you about it, it wouldn't mean anything to you. And it's the same way with you. When you start to build a relationship with God, it has to become personal. You and Him. Not everybody's involved in everything that you know and goes on between you and Him. To Him, you're special. You're not just a name or a number. It's how I try to pattern my church. I don't want, you know, in many churches, there's one big church in Kansas City, and they, they look at the members of the church, and they don't call them by name. They call them by uh, their, their, uh, um, their, their giving numbers. They, every family has an assignment, a number, and that's their number. And, uh, you know, the most pastors don't know the people's name, don't get to talk to the people. I, I just think that's a terrible way. If, if the ministry really is to emulate Christ and what we want to have with Christ, then we're truly all one family, then, then you know, you, you can't do it that way. Everybody's important. Everybody's special. Everybody, everybody uh, is, a, is, nobody's just a number or a name without a face. And it's, it's it, pastors do that all the time. And if, you know, it's a thing where if the real relationship with God is the model for the church, then, you know, my attitude is that you can have as much of my time and me as you can stand, see? which probably isn't much. But I, I, I'm, I, my mindset is built on, along those lines. You see, you and I are the number one thing in Christ's mind. A couple of New Year's Eves ago, I, I, I brought you through the a, a, a Song of Solomon and I showed you how that the Song of Solomon was the most intimate book in the Bible. And I told you some tremendous things about that. I think we got it in, I know we got it on tape. I think there's even a book back there now. But I showed you how that each chapter uh, basically brings you through. And what it does is show two great things. It shows, first of all, how God looks at you, how Christ looks at you. But more importantly, it shows you and I how we look back at him. And I, I tried it back then, and I mean it today. I don't think anybody can have a real meaningful relationship with Christ until you understand that book and how it applies. I think most relationships with Christ are like most marriages today. They just don't work very well. Everybody just keeps them pumped up to keep going on, but at the end of the day, there's nothing really in a relationship going on. And that's the way we are in our relationship with Christ, unfortunately, most of the times. Now, you know what? You're number one in God's life. You're number one in God's mind. He wrote the Bible with you in mind. I don't even know if you know that. He wrote you 66 love letters to put in your jewelry box. 
He really did. He really did. I kid people all the time. I'll, <clears throat> I'll show you what I mean. <clears throat> Is that a Bible, Zach? Mm -hmm. Why are you even carrying it? He didn't write that to you. He wrote that to me. When he wrote that book, he, he, he cared nothing about you. He cared about me. When he wrote that, give me that. When he wrote that Bible, he gave it to me. He didn't give it to you. Now, Zach's sitting there shaking his head, but Zach's thinking in his mind, yeah, up your nose with a rubber hose. He wasn't thinking of you when he wrote it. He was thinking of me. <clears throat> you see, until you develop the personal attitude of that book, I'll tell you something else. <clears throat> and I don't want to make you mad this morning, and I really feel bad about telling you this. But he didn't die for you on the cross. He died for me. Sorry about you. I'm glad you're saved. You got in the back door somehow, but he wasn't thinking of you on the cross when he died. He's thinking of me. Now, everybody here this morning got to be able to stand up and throw something at me, don't please, and, and say, Bob, you're out of your mind. He didn't die for you. He died for me. We, if you want to fight as Christians, let's fight over that. That's a good fight to have. Because, see, but I can claim that. I can't claim that book for Zach. I know what he believes about it. But I can't claim that book for him. I can claim it for me. So I can say to Zach, he didn't write that to you, Zach. He wrote that to me. Zach can say, yeah, right. He didn't write it to you. He wrote it to me. We can go back and forth all day long about it. End of the day, I'm right and Zach's wrong. But, you know, but you got to understand how the thing works. You know what the difference between some of you are and some of the others are who are saved this morning? It's real simple. It's real simple. Many of you think the Bible was written to everybody. Some of you think the Bible was just written to you. And there lies the difference of what you put in your jewelry box. You build your relationship with him on faith and trust, your service, your ministry. And they all sustain themselves on the promises of God. I, I remember years ago, years ago, I, uh, I was a little 15-year-old girl. And she was giving her problems, all kinds of parents, all kinds of fish. The parents brought her into me and she had hooked up with this boyfriend at, at school that she wasn't supposed to have any boyfriends. And, um, and, and, and she, she was just giving her mom and dad fits. And I'll never forget it. We, I didn't get anywhere with her. I didn't really expect to, but you know, her mom and dad wanted me to talk with her with the mom and dad being there. So that's fine. I, nothing else. I always <laughs> give them, I give them the hard line down the line. This is what's going to happen. But anyway, I, I was down there and, and she was just beside herself. And I was trying to talk with her about giving up this guy because he was a bum. I mean, he was a bum. He was just, just a goofy bum. He was a bum. And uh, later they got married and their marriage was a mess and they're divorced and, you know, he was a bum. Anyway, but, and I'm trying to tell this to her. But try to tell that to a 15-year-old girl. Try to tell it to a 30-year-old woman sometimes. It doesn't much work better. But anyway, but I, was, I was telling her. And she broke right out of the thing. I, I mean, and she was, she, was, she was watching me, never said a word. But her, her eyes were welling up with tears. And I think, oh, I'm getting through. You know, uh, here I am. Uh, she, she's going to just fall down to her knees. We're going to hear this just as I am being sung from the loudspeakers of heaven. And we're going to get it done today. You know, her eyes welled up, welled up with tears. And she burst out. And she says, you don't understand. You don't understand. I can't live without it. I'm not going to live without it. And I can't live without him. Shut up. No, I didn't say shut up. She shut up. I thought about that years later, and I thought to myself, you know what? That's exactly what our attitude ought to be toward our relationship with Christ, that you can't live without him. But you know what the problem is with most of God's people today? That is the problem. God's people can live, get along without him, and do. Save people. Nothing in the jewelry box. 
Nothing in the jewelry box. And uh, you know what? You look at that book, and that book, is, is, is it yours? Or is it for everybody? See, the difference between that is how you view your own personal relationship with him. It, it's just that simple. Now, you've heard me say many times a very old truth, and it's true. You've heard me say, and I got it from years ago from, from Mel Shabaka, my father in the Lord, and who knows where he got it. But he used to say, never doubt in the darkness what God has given you in the light. Now, what he's saying uh, is that God gives, what God gives you in the light are the promises of God that you put in your jewelry box. And then when you get into the dark times, those are the things that get you through. I, I use another one all the time that God always pays for what he orders, and that's so true. That's a promise, you see. God calls you to do something, he'll take the, pick up the tab on it, and he'll, he'll get the people there to, to, to get the job done. That's what he does. That's a promise. Now, in, in, in looking at the ministry side of it, which so many of you are looking at getting into the people deal and all that, I, I, I encourage you with it. You know, many times, I'm going to tell you, many times the promises of God are all that you have. And when you go back and you study the New Testament, hey, no doubt about it. In Paul's life, it was the promises that God gave him that got him through all the tough times he went through. It's the promises of God that got me through all the things that I've had to go through, which is nothing compared to what Paul went through. But it'll be the promise of God that will only get you through what you've got to go through. Our text says in 7 1, uh, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved. And that's the key getting them, getting them into your heart, getting them into your jewelry box, and understanding that He wrote those things for you. And I, I can safely say, after 45 years in ministry, that if you don't, at some point in your life, get the promises in your world and you make them in your life and you're going to get a process that you don't get that jewelry box being filled up, you ain't going to make it. People used to ask Mel, my father and Lord, ask him if he ever felt like quitting the ministry. <laughs> He'd say, well, this week it was 247 times I felt like quitting. Now, I don't think he ever felt like quitting the ministry. I think he used that question to make his point. Maybe he did. I don't know. I don't think he did. But I want to tell you something. In the ministry, when you start working with people, it kind of separates you out. You're in the loneliest place in your life, Prowl. And the only thing that's going to get you through is the principles that God gives you and the things that he put in that jewelry box. I, I honestly, I can speak from my own heart, and God knows my heart this morning. In all the years I've been in the ministry, I've never felt like quitting. Never have. You know, when I, I, I think about that, I thought about that this week, and I think one of the reasons that that in my life is, is God kind of buffered me. Uh, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. I just claim to be the fastest one in the slow class. I, I, you know, but, but God allowed me to have some things. I think he needed to know what I needed to have, and he kind of gave me those things. I think one of the reasons is how I, I you know, God showed me how to build my ministry. Now, I, I, I build people. I told you that last week. Leaders trained here. My whole life is, is building people. I, I, that, that's what God's called me to do. I don't look at myself as, the, as a great pastor in the world. I, I have to pastor to do what I have to do with people. But I am a people person. And what God has given me any ability at all that I can talk about, recognize without, you know, it is honestly clear in my heart is I know how to take a young man or a young lady and get them from point A to point B to be what God wants them to be. That's what he's called me to do. Yet, I don't build my ministry on people or I don't build my ministry with people. Now, I build people. You see, but I learned very early in my life that 
I learned that you can't build a ministry on people. Now, it sounds like a contradiction because we're all going down to restart, and I got a group going over to uh, uh, the motel, and I got another group going over to Kansas tonight, and a bunch of people are going to go. So you, you say, well, Bob, what are you talking about? I hear, I hear what you're saying. Uh, I, I hear what you're saying, you, you, but yet people do the ministry. Well, here's where I'm coming from, and you'll understand. And this has helped me. Maybe it'll help you. I don't know. See, I've learned that I don't, I don't get disappointed in people. I never have. I've had people come all the time that messed up their life, and they've said, you know what? I really apologize to you. I feel like I've let you down. You didn't let me down. I think I disappointed you. you could, there isn't anybody in this room and anything you do that would disappoint me. I, I don't get disappointed in people. And I think part of the reason is, is because I, I understand that people will fail. I'll go one step further. I expect people to fail. I expect, when I'm in the ministry, when I got in the ministry, God gave me an ability to, to, to accept the fact and understand the fact that, that when you get into ministry, there will people who will join the ministry with you, and at some point in time, they'll leave you and let you hang by yourself. They'll get mad at you, they'll get out of fellowship with God, and they'll quit the ministry. You know, I, I, I would have been out of the ministry a long time ago and discouraged and quit it if I had to let, I mean, if I had to let all that stuff get out of the context by which I keep it in. Hey, I've had people that I have literally invested two or three or four or five, six years with. I mean, we're talking about two or three times a week, hours, working through, working problems, putting people with them in their life, not necessarily here, but all through my ministry. I've had people that I've in, extended much time with and, and bring them along to try to get them because I, I saw where they were at, I saw, and they went along with it, and they did really well. And I've had those same people. After you invest all of that time, you put everything into them, you do everything for them, you orchestrate all the circumstances and get people in their world to get them where they need to be. Find one guy or one gal, and out the door they're gone, and never say, Jack, thank you for anything, and bang, they're gone. Now, you see... You could let that bother you. And some of you would let that bother you. You know why? Because you take it personal. I don't take it personal. I, I expect people to do that. I really do. I've had people that have been with me uh, in, in ministry for years and years and years and years that I love very dearly. And they'll get their nose bent out of joint about something or get out of fellowship with God, whatever the case may be, and, and be gone and, and, and be angry at you and talk about you and all those things. And you, you sit there wondering, shaking your head, saying, what in the world happened? But you know what? I'll tell you what happened. I expect those things to happen. I don't take it personal. I really don't. I really don't take those kind of things personal. Hey, can I be honest with you this morning? I love you all. I do. I, 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 in the Lord, I love you all very, very, very much. I, there isn't anything that I wouldn't do for you. Uh, if you had a need, I'd be there to try to do whatever I could do. And I, and I, I, would, I would work through whatever problem. We sit down with the Bible. I'd help you any way I can. Uh, I, I, I love you all. I'd do anything for any of you. You know me. I genuinely love you in the Lord. But I got to be honest, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I expect to be in this all by myself. That's where I'm at. I have people all my life hang out and do the work, get their nose bent out of joint about something, and gone. I've had them tell me, oh, I love you so much. You're the greatest thing that ever happened in my life. And two weeks later or a year later or six months later, they got their nose bent out of joint, and they're gone. Now, maybe that's an over-exaggeration, 
and that really won't happen. And maybe some of you will hang out to this thing until the end. But you realize that I can't put any stock in that? People never disappoint me. They never do. I expect people to give up and quit. And see, some of God's people, when they get into a relationship and they've had a long relationship uh, that, and, and it goes sour or the people leave or they get out of the ministry or they go back to the world, it, they upset. They, they lament over the fact that, that, well, they were my friends for 30 years. I never go there. I, I never get that way. You know why? Because I've learned a great lesson. I build people. I build people. I build people, but I don't build my ministry on people, nor do I build my ministry with people. I build my ministry on the promises. Because when the people leave, the promises stay. And that's the only way you'll survive. That's the only way you'll survive. You'll never go wrong hanging all you got on the promises of God instead of relationships. Because relationships change. Emotions get flared. People get their nose bent at a joint. People get upset. They get out of fellowship and they leave and they get mad and they do stupid things. But the promises never change. And when you try to build a ministry on the people, with the people, instead of the promises, you're going to fail every time. Standing on the promises. Standing on the promises that cannot fail when the howling storms of doubt and fear assail. By the living word of God, I shall prevail. Standing on the promises of God. Now, I I must confess this to you. And this is really the key for me not taking things personal. I've learned that lesson. I've learned it the hard way over the years. With many tears and many regrets, but I learned the lesson. Over the years, you invest with people. You invest with their kids. They, you marry them. You have part of their life. You have part of everything that goes on. You get into ministry with them. And for a long time, uh, you serve God together, and then, and then it, it, it happens. And I've seen this happen in my 40 years over and over again. Somewhere along the line, they decide to quit growing. They get cynical. They become negative. They begin to complain. Many times their kids turn from God and it all turns out bad and that's a tough thing and it's a very embarrassing thing or very ashamed thing. I'm going to tell you something. You young, you young couples here today, I'm going to tell you something. It takes, it takes about 20 years, 20 years for our kids to show us and show the world how phony we really are as Christians. But they do. Then that's true of all of our lives. That's hard to take for some people. Some people, they, they want to walk around like everything is okay. But it, their kids are the red flag in their life. Uh, I remember years ago, <laughs> this is a funny story, and it's a true story. We had this couple in our church years ago that were very pious. And they always gave the impression of being so spiritual. And uh, they always sat in the front row. Uh, and it was a big church, and you, in the auditorium aisle to get to the front row from the back row was probably 100 yards. It was huge. And this, this lady was so pious, and, she, and their husband too. And they always wanted to pretend that they were more spiritual than anybody else, and their life was a big joke. But you know what? In their brain, in their mind, they were all, look at us, look at me. And I'll never forget. 
This lady one time in the middle of a service, I wasn't preaching, but she got up and went to the restroom. And when she got into the restroom and did what you do in a restroom, she tried to straighten herself back up. And when she put her thing, she got the back of her skirt stuck in the back of her pantyhose. Now, have you ever seen those things in the yard where they kind of look like that? Well, this is what we're talking about. Now, this lady had no clue that the, the whole back of her dress was hiked into the back of her pantyhose. <laughs> Remember? Remember? Okay. Now, it wasn't just a bad thing that she sat in the back. No, no, no. During Sunday morning service, she walks the whole green mile <clears throat> down to the second row. And it was like everybody at a ball game with a wave. That's what it was. The moment every, as she passed every aisle, you can see it. And she's walking down there. And every time she rode by, the row goes, ah! And the people, it's just, it looked, it's just, woo, 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 woo. She walked up to the front and she sat down. And I don't think she ever figured it out. She thought she was just fine walking down there and Miss Spiritual. She wasn't fine. And boy, I'll tell you what, many times in our lives we think we're just fine, but boy, those, not everything is always <laughs> tucked in the way it should be in some cases in our life spiritually. But it happens. And, and, you know, and then, and then they, get, they, get, they, get, they get bitter. They get backslidden. Uh, they get prideful. And they're always negative about everything and everybody. And then they're gone. And it's always the same. It's always our fault. It's always my fault. It's always your fault. You know, I love people and want people uh, as my friends. And I love friends. And I have great friends. And I love all of you. And I do anything in the world. But I have learned this lesson. At the end of the day, it's not people who do the ministry. It's the promises in the people who do the ministry. And if you don't get that down and you don't see that, you got to have in your jewelry box. How many times over the years that that will happen to a pastor if he's faithful to that book? 10,000 times, man. 10,000 times. The last book I'm ever going to write before I die and go home to be with the Lord is going to be a, 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 a complete list of all of the people that I can remember that had their nose bent on a joint. And the title of that book is going to be, Where Are They Now? They're all miserable, they're all bitter, they're all angry, they have no joy, they're all negative, they have no church, they have no failure. I, I laugh at times, people leave, uh, any, it happens all the time, people leave a church and they'll say, well, it's the church, you know, it's the pastor, well, it's the people, it's the church, I'm going to find another church. You know what happens? They leave the church they left, but they never find another church. They don't go anywhere. Now, if you're paying attention, that would tell me and tell you, if it should, that it wasn't the church. That's just an excuse, you see. The real answer is not that they're not going to another church. The real answer is nothing in the jewelry box. Nothing in the jewelry box. It's just that simple. Now, you folks who are going to be <coughs> part of the people ministry, <coughs> and all of you really that just are going to do the work of the Lord here, you need to get yourself some promises. If you're a young Christian today, you need to take what I said. I try to make it very easy to understand about a jewelry box. Who can't relate to that? The principles in your heart. Going to the bank to try to get money out of the account. 
some principles to, to live, uh, some principles to live by in your life. Because when you start to work with people or you start to get into the ministry or you just get to a certain level in your Christian life, you know what's going to happen? You're going to need them. Remember now the ministry in chapter 1 is suffering and promises all that sometimes will get you through and hold you together. You know, people who wear their feelings on their shirt sleeve, people who take things personal, get emotionally involved, you know, people who get, uh, you know, their feelings hurt or get defensive easily or get, uh, you, know, you know, upset about this and that or and always blaming somebody else for their problems. I mean, it will never work in our lives being that way. In this life, many times, uh, most of the time, uh, dealing with people, uh, it's a very thankless job. Very thankless job. The results you see will never be what the Adelaide that somebody throws at your feet. The result that you see is when somebody actually takes the principles of the Word of God and does something in their life and then lines up with you to try to do the ministry together. But even in that, i got to be honest with you, for my own protection, because I'm vulnerable just like anybody else, I love you to death and i do anything in the world for you. And this is probably not a true statement, but in my mind it has to be. At the end of the day, I'll stand by myself if I have to. And that's just where it's at. That's where it's at. Because I don't want to be, I love you all and I need you all and we all got a great thing going here and God doing some great things. But let's not forget at the end of the day, it isn't me or isn't you. It's that book and the promises that get us through. And the only thing that make you valuable to God and valuable to this church is not your abilities, not your, your wit, not your great uh, sense of humor or not your depth in the Bible. It'll be the promises that you've got in your heart that when every tough time comes, That'll all get us through. All it gets us through. My favorite verse in ministry has been for many, many years in life. Romans 8, 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us in that day. See, that's a great promise to me. It doesn't really matter what I go through down here. That's the difference between me and some of you. It matters to some of you what happens in this life. It matters to you whether you suffer or not in this present time. I'm fully convinced and persuaded by the promises of God that whatever I'm going through right now is not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be in that day. That's a promise to me. That's a promise. So I'll put up with it. I'm, I'm like the Old Testament saints. Many, you know, they're the great faithful men of God who span the Old Testament pages that I love to read about. And I, I see a lot in their life what we ought to have in our life today. And, and I want to leave you with this last thing about promises. I've given you some good things today. It's not been a hard message, but it's been a real message. It's been one to encourage everybody, but especially you younger Christians. Not all the promises will come in this life. I think that's the last thing you need to go home with today. Some promises are not for now. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 13 says, talking about the great saints through the God's hall of fame. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were pilgrims and strangers on this earth. You see, not all the promises we have right now all be fulfilled now. Sometimes we can only see them afar off. You've all got ways you want your kid to grow up. 
you don't see that right now, but the, you can see it afar off, what you want him to be, and the promises that God gives you. Some of you in your own life, you want to be the man or the woman God wants you to be. You want to know the Bible. You want to get in ministry. You want to do what God wants you to do, but maybe you just got saved. Okay, you can't claim all those promises right now, but you can see them afar off, and you can be persuaded and strengthened and embrace them. In life, and certainly in the ministry, you get through life by the promises of God that he gives you. And sometimes you don't see them fulfilled in this life as we wander for God. But that's why you put them in your jewelry box. That's why you put them on the bank account. Because there will be coming a day when they will, if not this life, certainly the next one, when we'll be confronted with them. And those promises will come true. There's promises that God has given me and there's promises God has given you that in this life probably will never be realized, but they will in in the next life when we meet the Lord in the air and we're with him. And that's why you've got to put them in your jewelry box. That jewelry box needs to be full of special things, the secret things, the holy things, the dedicated things that God promises you to get you and me through. Standing on the promises, I cannot fall listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting in my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God. Now next week, we'll look at yet another aspect of verse 1. And I'll show you again how to apply the promises of God that He's given you in, a, in a, even another angle or another way. But now today you have everything that where you're at as a young Christian you need. You now have an understanding of how to apply it. You have an understanding of what they are, principles and promises. You have an understanding of how God wants to do and put it into your life. And I'll say this, no matter where you're at in life today, no matter where you're at in life, no matter what mistakes you have made, whether it's your children and your marriage or whatever the case may be, no matter what it is, I never want to leave without saying this, no matter what mistakes we all, and we all have made them, no matter what mistakes we have made in life, There's always a point in time when we can begin to open up that jewelry box and put those promises in and start right there. But there has to be a place in your life. I tell people all the time, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care whatever your situation has been in. That's none of my business, nor do I care. All I care about is where you're at today and where you want to go from here with that book and the Lord. And the only way to go is through the promises. Standing on the promises. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We do love you.